here to worship with you. If you would turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, to the letter to the Ephesians that Paul wrote under the leading of the Holy Spirit, will be in chapter 1, again, verses 15 through 23. We're going to focus primarily on verse 18 today, uh, just on verse 18. I know that sounds like a little bit, but I promise you there's a lot. And while you get there, let me uh, just kind of set the tone for us a little bit today. I know that uh, we have been singing songs to the Lord. We have been worshiping through music and through prayer and through scripture already. But I, I want to take a moment and just kind of bring a, another part of reality into this conversation. I know that we uh, have been thankful for God being good to us, and he has been so good to us, especially in Jesus. But if we're going to be honest with one another, we have to also be real about the fact that there's a lot of times in our lives, even when we walk in here to be together on Sunday morning, when the hope that we're supposed to be singing about, when the hope that we're supposed to be living out in our workplace or in our families, in our homes, uh, wherever we go, that that hope that we sing about, that we read about, that we know is supposed to be ours, seems like a distant thing to us. I mean, if I'm being real, it seems sometimes like that hope that I know up here doesn't really feel real in here. Or I believe it in my head, but I don't always experience it in my life. Is that just me? I don't think it is. I think that many of us don't want to talk about that to one another, but there are things that can choke that hope out of us real quick. It can be the extreme things, like a really bad news about somebody we love and care about. It could be about a quick change in our circumstances in our lives that will put us in a bad place financially or emotionally or relationally. It could be a choice we made from years ago that has surfaced and has been embarrassing or shameful to us. It could be anything in our lives in these big ways, but it can also be the small things that can choke out the hope that we say we live for. The hope that we have in Christ can be an intellectual exercise as we gather and do Bible studies in Sunday school, and we can act like everything's good, and we can put the smile on, and we can dress the part, and we can look like everybody else, when internally we feel so distant from others who look like they really mean what they're saying, when they too might be having that hope choked out of them in some different ways as well. I mean, it can come in small ways, right? It's not just the big ways. Uh, I'll give you an example. It's I'm going to get real. If you get tired of hearing me get real, you can tell me afterwards. Maybe I'll slow it down. Um, But just yesterday, it always happens, right? The week of when I'm preparing to preach on something, God kind of pushes it into my heart as well. Just yesterday, my wife and I were having a um, not-so-jovial, long, throughout-the-day conversation (laughs) that did not bring much hope or joy to my heart. (laughs) nor to hers, and I wouldn't say that it was because one of us was being a jerk and the other wasn't. I wouldn't even say because we were being jerks. We were just missing one another, and and, and we were having some serious disconnect in our relationship, and I think at least for me, a lot of that was because I was having some serious disconnect in my heart with the Lord, but I didn't even put that together until later on in the evening, Uh, but I can tell you this, that at a few points in that conversation, it felt like hope had disappeared. Not that we were going to be leaving one another or be done, just that I didn't know what it was going to look like if we weren't able to resolve some of these things. I didn't know how it was going to feel to wake up the next morning and not feel like I knew there was an end in sight to this disconnect. Does that make sense? 
Have you ever been there before with somebody? Uh, thankfully, the Lord showed grace, and we were able to bring some closure to that before the evening settled on us. But it was a tough time of finding my hope that I preach about and that I'm supposed to know and experience and live in all the time. And the reason for that is many. There are many reasons for that disconnect. There's many reasons for the loss of that hope. But what I want you to understand is that it's okay to struggle. It's okay to to have a difficult time. The worst thing we can do is put on the face and not be real with somebody that can pray for us. The worst thing we can do along with that is to not be honest with ourselves and to go to the Lord, who is the only place where we can really find that hope. Because every time, every time, the reason that hope disappears before our eyes or disappears when we're not even noticing it, every time a root issue of it all is the fact that our eyes have come away from the king. So I want us to look right now on the text before us this morning. And I want us to see where we can find that hope when it disappears, because it will. And where we can be refreshed, and where we can find that joy that can fill us when nothing else can bring satisfaction. And let me tell you this, it doesn't mean it's going to solve the problems all the time, right then and there. It doesn't mean that, that you're going to get connected like you want to be connected. It doesn't mean that the bad stuff is going to go away. It doesn't mean that you're not going to suffer. It doesn't mean any of those things. What it means is that this hope can carry you through and that it can actually take you further than anything else, even if those things weren't there. And so let us find our hope this morning in the Christ as we look into the words about him. Look with me, Ephesians chapter 1, we'll start in verse 15. I'm going to read on through, but we're going to be focusing on verse 18, right in the middle of that. Look with me, verse 15 and on. For this reason... Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That's what Paul's saying, right? He's remembering them in his prayers. He says, I don't cease to give thanks to you, for you, because of your faith in the Lord and your love for all the saints. And he says, remembering you in my prayers, this is what he prays, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may Give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. First and foremost, he's saying that you would know God. That he would continue to illumine your mind and your heart to know God. That is our greatest occupation, is to know God. He says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, he then goes into the three what's that are the breakdown of knowing God. The first one is this that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. And then what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And thirdly, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he goes on through that rest of this little pericope, this little paragraph. But I want us to back on up to verse 18. He's praying that you might know God. You have a spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of him, verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. In other words, that you might really see and know and experience God. Deeper and deeper and deeper. That's Paul's prayer. And so he begins to break it down. 
that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. It's so easy to swing by that and think we get it. But we're going to camp on it today. We're going to unpack this a little bit. And my question as we get going is, when darkness comes, in whatever form it may take, where will you find your hope? Don't just answer that intellectually. Let's let the scriptures pour over us. Today is going to be an, a, a lesson for all of us, not, not from the teacher's mouth and, and looking at me. It's a lesson from the Lord in how to revel in the hope to which he has called us. And so let us unpack that statement as we go. I'm going to say it simply as kind of your thesis statement. We're going to say it in multiple ways, but most simply in the shortest version, you can just say this. I'm encouraging you. I think the scriptures here are pointing to you to find your hope in the face of Jesus. To find your hope in the face of Jesus. Face to face, close to, staring into the face of Jesus. Find your hope in the face of Jesus. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Now this hope is for believers alone. Those who have repented and believed in Jesus. Apart from that, there is no hope like this. This hope is only for those who have repented of their sin and turned toward the Christ because of the empowering work of the Holy Spirit in you as you've heard the gospel and that you turn to the Savior to be your king. Only because of that. Because there's a difference between callings. And I want to explain this real quick. Here's your systematic theology lesson for the day in a nutshell. Are you ready? One person is ready. Are the rest of you ready now? Okay. The Bible talks about a calling, a gospel calling, but there are, are two levels to that calling. That's kind of how I'll put it. Two distinct levels to that calling. There is the general gospel call, and then there is the effectual gospel call. The general gospel call is when somebody speaks the gospel to another or to others, like I'm doing today, and everybody hears that, and God is saying, everybody in earshot needs to repent and believe. You find this kind of gospel call in Acts 17, 29 through 34. In fact, we're going to see both kinds. The effectual call is when God actually, the gospel hits that heart, and the Holy Spirit turns that heart alive and gives faith to that heart, and that heart is repenting and believing. All that happens in the same moment. And that's the effectual call. It makes it effectual in the heart of the believer. Okay, because the word goes out. We know people hear the gospel all the time, but not everybody believes, right? Let's look and see how this works in Acts 17, 29 through 34. Being then God's offspring, Paul is preaching. He says, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the, that the, that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance... God overlooked, but now he commands, here's the general call, now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, that's Jesus, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Right? Now, we know that didn't work for everybody because the next verse. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. It's a general call. Not everybody believes this call. Not everybody responds in obedience. It says, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. And here's the effectual call. Listen. But some men joined him and believed. 
among whom also were Dionysius, the area the area the Areopagite, that's a big word, and a woman named Demarius and others with them. Now we know there's a difference in call because we see the same thing in Romans 8, verse 28 through 30. In Romans 8, 28 through 30, we see it talked about this way by Paul. And we know that, the, that for those who love God, those who are his, you get it? Those who have already been born again, those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So there is a distinction using the same terminology of calling that there is a general call when the gospel goes out, and there's an effectual call for those who would then repent and believe. Do we understand? Okay. So let's back up to this verse again and look at this verse in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Right. Who's doing the enlightening there? Not a trick question. God. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. He's talking to believers. These are people with an effectual call, a life-changing call in their lives through the gospel. They have repented and believed, okay? So there is only hope in this way for the believers. There is no hope for those who have not repented and believed in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You might have hope that your circumstances will change, but there is no sure hope. You might have hope that things might end up differently than they look like they're going right now or that they'll stay in a good place like they might be right now. But there is no surety to your hope unless you believe in Jesus for that is the only sure hope that we have. And I'm going to explain what that hope now means. Before I get any further, though, I want you to understand today, if you're not a believer in Jesus, you can be a believer in Christ today. I'm generally calling all of you to repent and believe in the gospel again or for the first time. And you can be his. In fact, at the very end of the Bible, there's a call out to everyone. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price, come. Today you can come to the Lord. Do not tarry, do not wait, do not hesitate. For there is only hope in Jesus. So what is this hope that Paul wants us to know or that God actually wants us to know as he speaks through Paul? This is not just a hope that he wants us to know intellectually. It's not just a hope to change a few things in our life. It's much greater than that. This is a hope that he wants us to know relationally and experientially. Relationally because it's a, it's a hope in a person, in God himself. And not just in an idea, not just in a, an act of saving, but it's a hope in a person and his name is Jesus. And that in his face, we actually see God, is what the scriptures tell us. So find your hope today in the face of Jesus. Now, we're going to break down this hope. And let me tell you, you cannot keep up writing this down. So just take it in, let it wash over you, and I will send you the notes if you want them. Are you ready? So what is the hope? Verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. First of all, it's the hope of salvation. Okay, you may think, well, yeah, of course, we've been talking about that. Let me break this down. 1 Thessalonians 5, 8 through 10. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. 
For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. See, it's a hope of salvation. It means you're saved from your sin. Our sin separates us from God, and Christ has reunited us with God on the cross by being fully God and fully man. Since we were separated, he brings us back to the Father if we put our hope and faith in him, that he alone can do that work, and he has done it for us on the cross. And so if we hope and put our faith in Jesus, we then find hope and salvation because we are saved from our sin, because our sin condemns us. It is the power against us from within us that declares that we be justly condemned for our sin. We have rebelled against the king. And yet Jesus, our king, died for us so that we could be brought back into his family. It also saves you from the pain of your sin. Like What? From the pain of your sin. Yeah, all the things you've done that you hate about yourself. All the things that you've done that were wrong that you wish you could go undo, but you cannot. All the things that you have done, the pain of your sin's impact upon others, even. How you've hurt other people, what you've done to those that you cannot fix. God brings grace and mercy and salvation from that, because in Christ, that has been cleared and wiped away, and you are forgiven in Christ Jesus, your Lord and Savior, your sacrifice. So you have salvation even from that. You're saved from the embarrassment of your sin. There's no reason to hide it. There's no reason to, to put it in a dark corner in a chest and lock it up and slide it under the bed. There's no reason anymore because it's not yours. It's been paid for. You don't have to pay for it anymore. Don't let it haunt you like a ghost that does not exist because the Lord has wiped it out on the cross. You've been saved from that embarrassment. Don't hide it anymore. Don't flaunt it like it's some kind of badge of honor, but don't hide it like if somebody sees it that, that you're ruined because the Lord sees you so valuable that he gave his life for you and he has saved you from that embarrassment. He was embarrassed for you on the cross. You've been saved. No more shame. Don't let your shame hang on you like you don't believe the gospel. Be honest and real with yourself and others. Don't act like he hasn't saved you from that. He saved you from the encumbrance of that, the heaviness of that. He saved you from the condemnation that we deserve. He has saved you for something greater now. Not just later, but now. For your sanctification, to make you more into the image of Christ, to make you better than what you are without him, to take you and change you. He loves you exactly how you are. He loves you and wants you exactly the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there. And so he's going to change you because he loves you into the image of God. He's going to change you into the way he made you to be originally before the fall, what he's always desired for you. You're better you. He's going to make you into that starting now. In fact, Titus 2 talks about that, 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous 
for good works. He is loving you too much to let you be. He wants to see you do things that you cannot do apart from him. He has saved you for good things now. Embrace him and let's find our greater lives in him now even. He's also, he's also he explains it in Galatians 5. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. That we might be made right and good. And he's working in you now to do that. He saved you to a greater life here and now. To a greater purpose here and now. To point the world to Jesus. That's our purpose. To point the world to Jesus. Not because we're great. Not because we've got it together. Because we have jacked it up. And Jesus loves us anyway. Because we have failed, but Christ did not. And so therefore, when people look at us and they see us for who we are, and we're real about who we are and our mistakes and our problems, and we say that, man, but I have been redeemed, it points to the Savior. When we point to our religious goodness, it brings no glory to the Lord. When we point to His goodness, we're doing what we're made to do, our greater purpose. Whatever suffering you endure, it is now filled with purpose to know God and make Him known. Saved to see God work in you and through you at all times and all situations. What a glorious life that is. That no matter what goes on, God can get glory in your life. That you can be used no matter how poor you recite verses. No matter how simple your prayers are. No matter how great your actions are in the glorious scheme of eternity. God can get glory in and through you. Isn't that miraculous? That he wants that for you. Just put your hope in him. In him alone. He's all. He's the only hope. The hope of salvation is found only in the face of Jesus. And that hope has been secured by the blood of Christ. This is a sure hope, brothers and sisters. This is a certain hope. It is an alien hope. It is outside of us. You don't have to look to self and make sure you can do enough or that you can hold it together. He has done it all for us on the cross. And his blood spilled out on the cross, paying the price for our sins to purchase us back into the family of God is enough. And it is a sure, secured hope because he paid the bill and it is marked, owned by the creator. Owned by the Father. Because the Son paid for you with His own blood. Nothing can trample on the blood of Christ. Nothing can overdo that. Nothing can undo that. Nothing. He alone has paid for you. And so it is sure. And this is an immensely valuable hope. Colossians 1.27 To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, listen, which is Christ in you. That's the riches that are glorious. It's Christ living in you. You have everything if you have Jesus. You have everything. You have enough. You have it all. He calls it here the hope of glory. This is a hope that cannot be taken away. No matter what happens in your life, if you are his, it cannot be taken away. Sickness cannot steal this hope. Suffering cannot steal this hope. Shame cannot steal this 
hope. Bankruptcy cannot steal this hope. Catastrophe cannot steal this hope. Cancer cannot steal this hope. Adultery someone does to you cannot steal this hope. Divorce, somebody leaves you, it cannot steal this hope. Murder, no one, nothing can steal this hope because it's secured by the blood of Jesus. It is his alone, and he has bought it for you. John 10, God says, my sheep hear my voice. Listen. And I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. It is secure in the face and person and work of Jesus. That is real hope. It's the only real hope. It's also the hope of the resurrection. This is great. You know it, but let's be reminded and let's worship in this truth. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and on. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment... In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? It is gone. The resurrection, he has defeated death. That he has made sure we understand that's true because he rose from the grave himself. It is powerful. It is overcoming of all things natural because he is the king of all and he has decreed it to be. And so death has no hold on you. The fear of death has been snatched away from the jaws of the enemy and replaced with the joy of the Savior. Come death, bring me to my Savior. Come, Lord, let death come so my Savior can display his great power. For he has defeated it. He will raise me up just as he raised himself up out of the grave. The king will be glorified when death comes to take me because it cannot hold me because he has defeated it. Amen? Amen. Amen. He has the power. He will get the glory. And we have hope because of him. This hope of resurrection can only be found in the resurrected Jesus. So let us put our hope in him. Also, it's the hope of an incorruptible body. Hope of an incorruptible body. We just talked about it a minute ago. As much as this body has given me pain and sorrow, as much as your body has failed you time and time again, because of his great effectual calling, we have the sure hope of a new body that will never fail us. Where sin and disease and pain will be forbidden, wiped out. We will have a new body that is incorruptible like our Savior's. The perishable replaced with the imperishable. The mortal will put on immortality. New, because it's been purchased for us in Christ. All the bad removed. That hope of an incorruptible body leads also to the hope of eternal life. Now, you think, I already know all these things, but are you reveling in that? Are we finding our hope in those truths? Are we 
seeing these things and diving into the depths of them so we might be overwhelmed with the grace that comes in the face of Jesus. This is where our hope comes from, brothers and sisters. It's not because he's not worthy of it alone. It's because we are not seeing it for the depth and the the reality and the immensity of what it really is. So let us stare some more into this truth. Colossians 1, 3 and on. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. In heaven, eternal life. This short life is not all I hope to hold. I hope it is not for you. But life that goes on forever and always, this is what I yearn for. Life that will be joyful throughout its totality and never ending. This is eternal life. Reunited with our loved ones, we say, who have placed their hope in Jesus, but ultimately united with the king who loves us more than we can ever imagine, more than we can ever fully take in and understand. For the first time in history, when we arrive in his presence, we will experience love unhindered by sin, which will grow within us and overwhelm us every day for a never-ending eternity. It will be an eternity to drink in the love with joy of a God who loved you and me so much that he would drink down our wrath for us in our place on the cross so that he might have us by his side forever and ever. Praise that king. He deserves to be worshipped by us in every moment because he alone provides the hope that we need. Let us revel in the fact that he would do that for us, that he would pay our way with the blood of his son. For I cannot, but he has, and we are not worthy. But he is, and let us give him the glory due. For alone, alone, that hope of eternal life can be found in the eternal Jesus and the eternal Savior. And lastly, the hope of God's glory. Romans 5, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him... We have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Again, that word is so elusive. Do we really rejoice in the hope of the glory of God? What does that even mean? Just for a moment... Can you imagine what that word encompasses for us? At least in part, on that great day when we step into the presence of the Holy One, we will step into the cloud of glory to which the Israelites feared to draw near. We will be able to step into the presence of the One whom the Israelites would not even touch the mountain upon which He rested because they would die. We'll be able to touch and see face to face the One who was present in the ark, that when people would touch it, they would just fall out dead. Where priests who had been cleansed ceremonially would step into the Holy of Holies, and if not rightly cleansed inside and out, they would be killed because they were not worthy to be in his presence. And we, unworthy sinners, who do not deserve anything but his wrath, 
will be ushered into the throne room of the Holy One and be able to take in all of His beauty and all of His majesty and all of His goodness and all of His grace and all of His gloriousness. Everything about Him we get to enjoy and take in every day for the rest of eternity because He will be our God and we will be His people and He will walk among us forever and ever. This is glorious news. This is hope. This is greater than anything we could ever face here in a negative because we have this greatness of the glory of God to look forward to. And then we even get to have it right now as he dwells within us by his spirit, through his son. We have hope that is secure. We will fall at his feet as we begin to see God's steadfast love toward us at every turn of our lives. We'll see and understand fully for the first time his great faithfulness. That which we could not see during the periods of darkness and desperation that have plagued us on this earth. Oh, but he was there. He's always been with us. He's always been leading us. He's always been carrying us through. And there in eternity we will revel in his mercy and grace. The Lord, the Lord. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. In his presence, we will marvel at the weight of his glory as we begin to grasp the depth of his mercy in giving us Jesus. And it will never end. The depths will never be dove to the depths and the bottoms because it is bottomless. This hope of God's glory can only be found in the glorious face of Jesus. Sometimes I'm drawn to a place where my heart wants to sing, and I'm not going to sing right now. <laughs> but sometimes I can do nothing but worship, and oftentimes it comes through song. And this is a song that I love with my heart, but the Lord has placed in my heart in the last 12 hours, I believe, for me to share with you. And so I hope that it might be one for you. If you don't know it, that you'll go learn it. And if you do know it, that it'll be on your heart to sing as you leave today. But when all our hope is gone, when it seems to fall away, and we see it again, I hope you'll see with me that my hope is built. Nothing less. Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. And when darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. Because my anchor is Jesus. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All of the ground is sinking sand. Find your hope in the face of Jesus, for there is no other. Lord, would you give us the grace that we need today? 
to believe that your son Jesus is our only hope. And may we find that in all things, in all places, at all times, that he is the one that is lifted in our hearts as you grace us by your spirit's working to draw our hearts back to him. Lord, thank you for overwhelming us today with your goodness, your kindness, your mercy, your grace, your love, and not your wrath, not your justice on us, but you placed it on him. Thank you, Lord, for giving us Jesus. Help us to put our hope in him. Amen.